just wondered if, you know, when we think of what can go wrong, you know, that, that if someone was a known collector that made a lot of purchases and they could, they could, I think they could even be on sports card scammers exposed if mm-hmm. they were somebody that repeatedly had some packages lost off their doorstep and they may be completely honest, but there are people in the town or somebody knows that, that they're, they're a known card collector that gets good cards. I mean, is that possible? Or is that? Yeah. I mean, I think technically, sure. It's possible. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I use that helps protect me that I think is probably worth mentioning is um, on the blowout forums, the eBay, the buy, sell trade, some of those, some of those sections have kind of a list of eBay buyers that have had a, a lot of issues or people that have had a lot of issues with. And that's not necessarily saying that they're all scammers are shady, but it could be like you said, there's postal workers in their area that have caused problems. But I've utilized that buy, blocked buyers list yeah. as part of my eBay selling platform and restricted okay. the the people who could potentially buy that. That probably has had some help to why I've had so few okay. issues with PWEs. But but yeah, sure, that, that pure risk does exist with a PWE because there is no tracking. There is no proof of, of delivery at that point. Do you feel that a lenient return policy as a, an eBay seller is uh, has a positive effect on your sales in your experience that you're lenient that may, you know but from from the strictest which is I don't accept returns to kind of the middle of the road as well you can send a return but you got to pay the postage to the to the most to the, the most generous which is if you don't like it send it back and I'll pay the postage coming back to me does that have any effect on your overall sales? I don't know that I'm the, the best person to answer that. My my official policy is that I don't accept returns, but as we know, there's not really any way to not accept returns on eBay because if there is an issue, eBay will force a refund no matter what. And so you might as well at least get uh, the, that card back or those cards back if there is an issue. Um, I've had, I think maybe only one or two return requests in the last several years. One of them was with a, a Project 2020 um, two, I guess, both with Project 2021. When uh, when the card values went down, um, the buyer re- re- had a return request. The other one was the Mike Trout mail truck fire that clearly the cards were damaged and and he got his refund. Um, but I've had very few issues with with returns or return requests. Um, so I, I don't know that I've got a data driven answer to that question. So, so tracking and insurance are both you don't even think about it unless it's above fifty bucks. Or where where, where are you with that? Yeah, probably 25 to 50 bucks is probably where I would be looking for um, above 50 for insurance and probably above 15 to 20 for tracking for me personally. Next question. If free shipping is strongly encouraged by eBay. Do you think, I mean, I hate to say, is it worth it for you to provide free shipping? But have you seen any, have you done any tests of charging for shipping as opposed to free shipping and how it affects your orders, especially for these medium-sized lots, I'm not talking. You know, I'm talking about 100 or 200 or 300 cards. Yeah, for the most part, I, I would say probably 90% of my eBay sales are with listings that have free shipping. There's a handful of things that I send, like the 1984 Fun Foods pins and yep. some other things that that are not worth a lot on their own and require me to have to be sent non-machinable. That if I were to sell one pin and free shipping. I would pay more than than I would get. So there's a few listings like that that I do add a, a shipping charge to. Um, but for the most part, most of my listings are free and I just essentially add that cost of shipping onto my buy it now price. And um, when I consider an offer from somebody, I'm baking in the fact that I'm gonna have to pay shipping and fees and is, am I still able to accept the price that they're offering? 
I think it just makes a simpler transaction when well, you offer free shipping. And so that's, that's often what I go with. And you're mainly fixed price, right? Mostly, mostly fixed price. I'd say, again, 90% of my stuff is fixed price. Okay. Um, what about uh, a person that says they don't, they do combine shipping or they don't combine shipping? Is the not combining shipping a turnoff or is I it think, expected or? Yeah, I think so. In my experience, I know from as a buyer, I'm always going to default to somebody who combines shipping because more often than not, that's going to save me money in the long run. And so I always offer combined shipping as well as a seller if it's something that is not um, free shipping. And do you use, I'm going a little faster here because we're running low on time, but what about uh, using PayPal or one of the other third-party services for getting postal discounts? Do you just go yep. through pay? Yeah, so I go through eBay all the time for any eBay sales and anything else I will use um, PayPal the PayPal shipping option as my, as my alternative to, to achieve discounts. I don't do any package or priority mail direct at the post office because that's just paying extra money. What, um, how helpful do you think it is in being very explicit about how you ship? I've seen people on eBay that go into great detail of how they ship is, does that provide a comfort level or is it uh, restrictive to the seller that, Hey, I said I was going to do this and, and maybe it's a boilerplate information that, I mean, what, uh, it would seem like more information is good. Yeah, I th- I, for me, I use a general rule of thumb. Anytime something is going to go PWE, I explicitly state that in the listing because I don't want the buyer to be caught off guard. And so I always say that it will come PWE if that's how I'm planning to ship it. On more valuable, like higher end stuff, you know, $75, $100, $200, I will often explicitly state that it will have, it will come priority and insured. But things that are, you know, $25, $50, I will just say free shipping. And, and kind of assume that it's going to come first class or whatever it might be. Okay. And what, do you restrict any international uh, uh, deliveries? I mean, are you? I, I use the global shipping program, which I know isn't necessarily the most cost effective, but it's, in my experience, the safest for a seller to use. Um, and so that's type, typically what I will do. I just click that global shipping program box and um, eBay essentially takes care of the rest for what the ultimate postage is going to be. I'm only responsible for the, the U.S. postage to get it to Kentucky. That's cool. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I've got a bunch of gnarly old card boxes and gnarly old card savers and uh, jewel cases and whatever, all these kind of supplies that I've had over the years. Yep. Does that even matter? Should I use, should I s- send that or do are people are expecting to get uh, brand new uh, card boxes and, and uh, reusable supplies and top loaders? Yeah. So I typically recycle decent condition supplies when I do my, my shipping. Um, those gnarly old card boxes are often what I will use when I'm packaging things up to go to ComC when it just needs to get there safely. And it's, it's not a, a consumer who's, who's doing that. And so a lot of those um, used card boxes end up making their way to ComC when I send in my submissions there. Um, I will reuse penny sleeves. I will reuse top loaders and those types of things for kind of some of those lower dollar average, you know, type, type cards just to get things there safely. Um, if it is a high-end card, a real nice autograph, you know, relic card, something that that is is meaningful, I will do my best to have it in a a new or like new um, supply, whatever that might be, whether it's a mag case, a top loader, or whatever it might be. Well, I mean, I thought you were a top loader guy. Are you more of a are you a card saver guy? I'm I'm more of a top loader guy by default. I will sometimes use card savers um, with some of my lower end PWE things. If I get them in collections, I don't buy um, card savers new to use for that, 
But when I'm pr- picking up collections, I will reuse card savers to send in some of my, my PWE shipments. I mean, everything we've talked about is about eBay and doing business with eBay and having the, they're just the, the, you know, the giant uh, of, of auctions. But if you get outside eBay, maybe it's Facebook or other platforms, are there any additional shipping precautions that you would take if you're not underneath the eBay umbrella? Yeah. And sport lots is a great example for that. Right. And, and I, we did a show on sport lots a, a couple months ago, but sport lots is very set up for people to establish PWE shipping for those common cards and some of those base uh, low end base and insert cards that you're going to sell on sport lots. And they've got the flexibility to allow you to customize the amount that you charge for shipping to account for PWEs up to a certain dollar amount or a certain card number, like the number of cards in an order, and then be able to charge shipping at a first class rate for things higher than that. And so PWE is probably where most of, or sport lots is where most of my PWE shipments have come from, but they've got a lot of flexibility built into their shipping structure that allows you to customize based on the, the need. Would you ever use uh, that, that uh, postal service small rate box, the little tiny video, like a video box? I mean, it's a little bit cheaper. Is there anything you'd ever use that for? Yeah, there's, I, I've used that to send um, one or two like Tops Project 2020 cards that, that I've sold for that $80, $90 range. Um, things like that fit in there perfectly. Because so, of crush proof? I mean, it's it's more protection than a padded envelope? Yeah, it's a little bit more, more protection than a, a padded flat rate envelope. And so there are things like that that I've used it for, um, you know, the occasional um, mini set or some things like that that are worth enough to get insured and have that insurance along with it. Um, but aren't big enough to send in any kind of, you know, medium flat rate or something like that. So I do use those small flat rate boxes from time to time. How many pad, how many sizes of padded envelopes do you uh, work with when you're sending out padded envelopes? Do you have a one size fits all or do you have every size for every possible anything in between? For the most part, I've got three. Um, the, the size, I think it's double zero. Um, kind of the, is it six by nine, something like that. It's, yeah. it's one of the ones that, that I get free from eBay for having the store. And then they've got the bigger, um, bigger size flat rate that are in between that and the padded flat rate from the USPS. And then I use the padded flat rate envelope from the USPS. My point is if you use a padded envelope and it's like too big, is that a problem? If you've got, you know, you just have this envelope sitting there and you just put one little group of 25 or 50 cards in there and it's rattling around, sliding around, um, it would seem like having it more snug would be better. Am I right? Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, but in my experience, you can either fold the envelope over, which essentially adds a, an extra layer of padding, and then use you know your packing tape to to hold it snug and and to make it snug. Or sometimes I will add additional um, bubble wrap, you know, packaging paper, whatever it might be, inside there to to fill out that envelope. But Oftentimes, if it's a little bit bigger, you can fold that padded flat rate or that padded envelope over, tape it secure, and it actually adds an extra layer of of wrap on it. If you had a hundred cards, you would. Well, let me just figure this out. So, if you have a hundred cards, and would you put them in, put twenty five in each in four team bags, and then put them in like these little tiny cases, and then put a cardboard around it and stick it in a in a in a bubble uh, bubble mailer. Of that's the, I don't know if you get six by nine, it might be need to be the seven by 10 one, but. Yeah, I'd say it for, for me personally, I've done multiple things there. Sometimes I will have um, a snap case that fits yeah. you know, a lot that size and I will put them in there first. 
Other times I've had the small, even hundred count boxes that are, they're, they're a little harder to find, but those cardboard boxes that, that only hold hundred cards, I've used those before. And I've also done um, where I've bundled them up into to four different team bags and either sandwiched them in hard cardboard or sandwiched them in top loaders or something like that to, to add a little extra rigidity there. So I'm, I'm really on those types of things. I'm really at what can I do economically to reuse as much as possible exactly. so that I'm not wasting. Okay, so but so you're saying if you have some hundred count boxes that are really tiny and I don't see them that often, you throw fifty or seventy five cards in there, put a little padding in there, slap a label on it, and send it in a padded fl- or or in an, in a bubble mailer. So you don't just single box it. You know, no, back I in the old days when you when I bought my sets in the seventies from some of these mail order guys. In fact, the first one was nineteen seventy two. They just it was in an eight hundred count box. They just slapped a label on it and mailed it. Yeah, and that that does. Ha- I don't typically do that. I usually at least put it in a bubble mailer, um, but I think that does still happen. I bought a bunch of 1968 tops, the, the new set that I'm working on from a, a seller on Sport Lots not too long ago. And that's essentially what they did is they, they put a label on a 400 count box that they um, taped really tight with, yeah. with packing tape. And so there are some people who are still doing that, but I will typically put it in a bubble mailer just to add a, that extra layer of protection and reduce the transparency of what might be inside, I guess. Exactly. And, and uh, do you think that having a like a typewritten or a computer form uh, shipping label makes it seem more professional or having a handwritten makes it more folksy or, you know, not alerting people that this is a any kind of sophisticated shipment? Yeah, that's a good question. I have moved to a, I have a thermal printer, Dymo thermal um, printer now that I use for my shipping labels. And I mainly went that route because it, it saves a lot of time from hand labeling everything or, or printing package labels on a, with regular paper and, and taping them all. But that is a good point. I, I don't know if anybody has really done much, you know, has much data on whether the handwritten thing gives it that folksy feel of, I don't want to mess with this or ah, it's just a, a personal package or whatever it might be. That's, that's a good question. I don't know that, that I've ever thought through it to that level. We're out of time. And I, I know we'll have some future discussions about this or anything else, but it just seems to me, I was reading somewhere online that if you're sending the PWE cards, you know, make it look like it's a birthday card. Who's going to steal some kid's birthday card, you know, or adult's birthday card for that matter. The man in the house of cards.